This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Let me tell you a story, something that happened in our family a few years ago. Uh, About four or five years ago now, uh, we lost my father-in-law. And he was a good man, and he deserved a good send-off. Now, keep in mind, these are the dynamics of my in-laws. I have four siblings-in-law, no, three siblings-in-law and a wife. None of them today is a practicing Catholic, Uh, but my father-in-law was a very serious practicing Catholic. So obviously we needed a Catholic funeral. Now his wife, my mother-in-law, died a few years earlier, and the, the, the kids were not happy at all with the funeral mass that was uh, celebrated in her honor. Just just not. And so they turned to me, and they said, Fred, we need somebody good. And I said, I think I can get you somebody. So I contacted my friend, Father Joachim Lally, and he did the mass. And he did it in a way that satisfied my in-laws and my wife, beyond expectation, but of course, he also satisfied the traditional Catholics who attended the Mass as well. I was a hero. Uh, And um, I wore that badge proudly. Uh, Father Joachim Lally has been a friend for several years, and I've always thought about having him on our program. And it occurred to me that he really is uh, quite the local expert on Catholic mysticism. One of the things that uh, spurred this conversation is that in May, he's going to be giving a retreat at the Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas. And I thought that this, was a, well, this would be an opportune time to share about this. And if anybody is interested in a meditation retreat uh, in fantastic and lovely, gorgeous surroundings, this might be an opportunity. So we're going to talk about that as well. Let me tell you a bit about uh, Father Lolly. Uh, his work in the church goes back to at least 1958 when he was a Benedictine monk in Arkansas. Uh, He became a Paulist priest. He is the founder-director of Catholic Youth in Action. Uh, He is the founder and executive director of the Adelante Youth Center and Adelante School Success in Lawrence, Massachusetts. He's a co-founder of the Dominican Youth Mission, and he has led over 40 missions involving evangelization, construction, and medical in the Dominican Republic. He's been doing this since 1990. He is currently a presenter at the Paulist Catholic Information Center here in Grand Rapids, and he is a certified presenter of Centering Prayer, Parish Missions, Retreats, Workshops, Volunteer, and Clothing Center. Uh, He also works in prison ministry, and is a board member and also on the development committee of the San Juan Diego Academy here in Wyoming, Michigan. So we welcome to Common Threads, Father Joachim Lally. 
Hello. Hello, Fred. It's good to be here. Thank you. Uh, uh, first of all, let me, let me uh, talk about your name. You were not born Joachim, am I correct? That's right. I was born uh, Edward Charles Nally Jr. after my father. And, um, but as I was growing up in Arkansas and Tennessee, uh, they usually give names that are nicknames. And so uh, somehow or another, I ended up with the name, nickname Buddy. And uh, but somehow the monastery did not want to call me buddy, so <laughs> we were asked to give the abbot, the superior, three names uh, that he could choose from when we made our first profession of vows, and that was in 1959. And I gave him Joachim, Xavier, and Timothy, and he gave me my first choice, Joachim. And Joachim, in tradition, is the father of Mary, the grandfather of Jesus. Very few people know that. A lot of people know that Anne was traditionally the mother of Mary, but very few know that Joachim is the father. I mean, was the father of Mary, and also um, the only grandparent father that Jesus had, because most people have two sets of grandparents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Got you. So now that's interesting because. Uh, I know that, well, I just mentioned that you have quite an active work in the Dominican Republic, Uh and I was curious as why why you did not use a a Spanish pronunciation. Do you use a Spanish pronunciation? Do they call you Joaquin down there? When I'm down there, yes. When working with Hispanics, it's Joaquin. Yes. Okay. Okay. And, And I've always wondered that because I thought that perhaps you adopted... A Spanish name because you work with a Spanish-speaking population so much, but that has nothing to do with no, it. No, it just happened that uh, it's a very common name used in Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's a name used all over the world, except the United States. And in France, Italy, German, they all have their versions of Joachim. Okay. So okay, very good. <laughs> so you started out as a, as a Benedictine monk before you became a priest. I did. When you were a monk, were you heading towards the priesthood, or could that have been an end in itself? Um, in those days, you entered a separate novitiate, the first year, they call it, uh, either to be a priest or to be a lay brother. And uh, I ended up joining the seminary part to be ordained a priest, which I was in 1965. So two years ago was my 50th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so that time in the uh, Benedictine Monastery, uh, that was a a time of both contemplation and study. Exactly, yes. Uh Okay. And you've had a very uh, rich, diverse, and colorful career as a priest. Uh, Right now, you seem to divide your interest uh, I, I don't mean to be simplistic about this, but it does seem to be divided between uh, a very deep contemplative experience as well as one of great action. I, right. I speak specifically of, of what I know of you. As a friend, I know that mm-hmm. your work in the Dominican Republic is quite significant. Reading over your bio, I see that you have even more activities to keep you up and running. Yes, right, yeah. Uh, but but I'm I'm curious. Do do some people only see one side of you, or do you think most people who uh, know either know you from the mission work, 
or know you from your uh, teaching uh, centering prayer. D- do you like do you do you like to make sure that you're always presenting a, a, a broader picture of who you are? Yes, because uh, when I was in the monastery, the focus was on uh, silence and 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 uh, being in the enclosure of the monastery, not leaving. And uh, I wanted to do both contemplation and action. And I figured that I needed to leave the monastery and uh, get permission from Rome to join the Paulist Fathers, which I made my first profession with the Paulist Fathers in 1975. And um, so I could do both. I could be contemplative in the world, as we call it, combining, because I think the two are so much uh, necessary for each other. Certainly. Uh it's interesting. I speak to a lot of Catholics, and I've had Catholics on this show, who have, well, essentially complained that growing up, the contemplative experience was never offered to them. They grew up, yes, they learned how to say the rosary. They grew up, yes, they knew how to go to Mass. But no one even indicated that there was a contemplative tradition in the Church. Now, clearly— you can open up one of hundreds of books and find out that, of course, there, of course, there is a tradition. But hasn't the church kept uh, contemplation up until recently? Uh, kept it away like the crazy uncle in the attic. Well, I always call contemplation the best kept secret of the Catholic Church. Uh, it was since the early days of the church, uh, part and parcel of one of the two kinds of prayer that we have. There are two kinds of prayer, with words and without words. Uh, In the Greek, it's apophatic, which is the negative way without words. And then the uh, Greek word for with words is cataphatic, with words. So we have focused on, for many years, both, except when the... uh, time of the Protestant Reformation came and Martin Luther, uh, the Catholic Church mainly became focused on apologetics, defending the faith through scripture and tradition. And um, they, uh, they sort of let the contemplation part be on the back burner. And so uh, this was so for almost 500 years. And uh, the one that kind of changed all that, and especially in the United States, was Thomas Merton in the Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky and uh, the Trappist Monastery. And uh, from that, uh, there arose other Trappists who took up the ball and uh, St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts, and they developed what we now call as centering prayer. And it's a method of contemplation that uh, goes back to the teachings of Merton and also the... uh, um, the book um, about uh, a silent prayer. Uh, what's the name of it now? I can't think of it. It's uh, the famous. Um, without it's an anonymous. Author. Oh, the cloud of unknowing. Cloud of unknowing. Thank you. I had a senior moment there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> cloud of unknowing. Yes. Okay. That's where your head was at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Unknowing. That's right. <laughs> So anyway, that's uh, kind of the brief, brief history. And I learned the uh, centering prayer practice from the uh, founders in St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts in 1977. 
just a few years after they developed it. They developed it around 72, 73. And I came in 77 when I was living in Boston and uh, have been practicing it and teaching it uh, ever since. And from what I understand, tell me if I'm wrong, that so many of the mystics in the Catholic Church, those people who really uh, dedicated their lives to the, the, the inner search, the, in the experience of inner communion, they were not always treated well uh, by their higher-ups. Uh, I, I mentioned the crazy uncle in the attic uh, metaphor, that they were treated like the kooky people. After they die, they can get canonized. But during their lives, they run into some opposition. Can you give us a, a few? Yeah, I see you nodding your head, so I'm not totally no, off track. No, no, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, the fact is that uh, there is this tension between outer and inner authority. Outer authority mainly being hierarchy and tradition and scripture and so forth. And uh, the inner authority is that inner authority that one receives directly from one's personal experience with God. And this is like the uh, song Blowing in the Wind. You don't control the wind very well. Uh, it's not controllable. And so there's been this tension between the, the uh, people in authority being suspicious of that which is not directly under their control. This is the human dimension of the church, okay, the Catholic church and any church, really. So uh, it's been this struggle. Uh, there have been uh, a lot of uh, times when these kind of teachings were considered heretical and uh, far out and, and so forth. And then later on, uh, it became known that uh, they were not that way, and but they suffered in their lifetime during that. I mean, another example, of course, is Teilhard de Chardin. Now, he was you know, not allowed to uh, teach and write and everything else. And then now he's one of the most well-respected uh, teleological uh, prince, uh, teachers in the church. So, If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and Father Jochum Lally is my guest today. We're talking about mysticism and the contemplative tradition in the Catholic Church. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about a few examples that are usually, uh, if I use the word trotted out, I'll, I'll tell you why. The the I remember ha having conversations with people about contemplation, meditation in the church, and on on several occasions they'll always they'll raise their hand. They'll say, "Oh, but we have Teresa of Avila. We have." Uh, 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 Meister Eckhart, we have Joseph of Cappuccino, we have all these, you know, but they always speak in the past tense as opposed to we have the ability to follow in their footsteps today. Now, of course, I understand that, yes, the church does offer that today, but so many people uh, I've I've uh, seen, and this can happen in any, tra any tradition. Instead of taking matters into your own hands, you look to other people in history. You you put them them on a pedestal, like they have done this. Right. God knows I can't, 
right? Right. So, so let's talk about those people uh, and, and just give a brief biography of a few of the, the real heroes, if you will, of that part of the church. Uh, Meister Eckhart, for let's pull one out of the air. All right. Let's talk about him. One of my favorites. Okay. All right. I've been teaching uh, the mystics for a couple of years now and had uh, several classes uh, on the teachings of Meister Eckhart. Uh, uh, belonged to the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans. And um, he and Thomas Aquinas had the um, distinction of being the only two who were twice head of the University of Paris and um, very distinguished scholars at the time. And right around the time of, of, uh, of uh, the kind of dispute between the Dominicans and the Franciscans. And, uh, but uh, he was so deep that uh, I think basically he could not be grasped and understood by a lot of the people in authority. And so they were very suspicious. They called him before the Inquisition, and uh, he uh, had to appear before the Pope, Pope John the Twenty. First or something like that. I forgot when it went. And uh, he died before a final uh, pronouncement was made on whether or not his works were heretical or not, just a few months before that. And uh, so it came out that they did, uh, they did not declare him a heretic, but they said that some of his teachings were suspicious and that, that we could not believe them. Okay. And uh, so. Uh, not too long ago, uh, a number of Dominican uh, preachers, the preachers, the uh, Order, of, Order of Saint Dominic, they got together and studied for ten years all of his teachings to see whether well, there was some heresy there or not. They came out and said nothing whatsoever. These were scholars and theologians. So uh, I think basically he is so deep. He's the deepest person I think I've ever tried to read. That um, you know, you just. You're suspicious because you don't understand it. But most theologians, most uh, mystic uh, theologians, uh, will say underrated, uh, understanding is highly overrated in the spiritual life. And uh, Bypassing uh, the rational mind? Exactly. Well, going beyond it, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not stopping there. Meisterka um, wrote a beautiful treatise called How to Live Without a Why. And so this is something that, wow. We want to know why for everything, you know, because the why is the control tower. That's our ego that we want to be on top. We want to be in control. And as soon as we understand everything, and that's why I think a lot of people don't go into an intimate relationship with God because they they don't understand and uh, they want to figure out God. And then they're, you know, at that point, they're uh, in competition with God. And so it's... It's all about letting go. You could sum up all of contemplation with those two words, let go. I'm curious because I knew that there was a, a tension in Meister Eckhart's life. Uh, and I knew that he was, being, he was suspected of being a heretic. I wasn't aware of the proximity of of the of his death and the the final conclusion, at least the conclusion yeah, right, yeah. back then. Right. And I'm curious if there is any movement for canonization of him. I haven't heard of any. Uh, some of the recent popes, though, have quoted him 
in some of their talks. It's always a good sign. And that, uh, that, is, that helps, you know. Okay. <laughs> have they quoted you yet? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> well, you have a shot with this well, one. Well, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you, the ones that get, most get quoted are the ones that are deceased. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> so we're not waiting for that. That's right. No, no, not, not right now. Okay. So. Okay, I understand. Um, how about uh, Julian of Norwich? Julian of Norwich, uh, the first woman to write in the what we know the, as the English language, uh, lived in Norwich, England, in around the 1300s. And uh, very little is known. We don't even know her full name. Because she, uh, only reason we call her Julian of Norwich is because she was an anchoress who attached her little hut to the walls of the Church of St. Julian in Norwich, England. And therefore, she's called Julian of Norwich, but we don't know her real name. And uh, an anchoress was someone who, a layperson, who would literally attach their little a building abode next to a church so that they could have a window looking into the church. They could follow the Mass and so forth, but they would live as hermits. But they would also have another window where people from the outside could come for spiritual advice. So she was one of those who was well-respected, and uh, she wrote her uh, writings, um, uh, were not published until several hundred years after she died because of fear of the Inquisition. Where were they kept? I mean, the, the they, they were just kept away and, and not shown and not talked about until it was considered safe. Interesting. Now, it seems <laughs> like if she had this relationship, meaning she had a hut that, yeah. that was built... So it butted up against a church. Right. She must have had a real relationship with the church. Well, of course, yes. She was She was not in a convent as such. She did not make vows like regular sisters and nuns would do. But she made a special ceremony of becoming an anchoress, which was uh, a public ceremony. And... Um, it was well respected in those times. They had so, a so, number of them. So you're saying that the church had no problem with people coming to her for spiritual advice. That, no, that, that there was no. some there was some legitimate authority that was granted her by the church. Well, it was mainly her own personal uh, knowledge and her personal holiness that uh, attracted people to her. Well, certainly, yeah, right, certainly. Yeah. But I'm just wondering what the church felt of her at that time. Well, they, they they must have allowed it. Allowed it because she lived to be about eighty years old, I think, and um, they never, uh, you know, put the clamps on or anything. So, would, would would you say there was anything unique about her? The way you talked about um, Meister Eckhart, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, trying to get rid of the why or going beyond ego? Is there anything, when we think of Julian of Norwich, that we'd say, ah, this is what she added to the, the canon of mysticism, if you will? Well, Julian, uh, her, her writings are called The Showings, okay? And um, it's all about a vision that she had within a, about a 10-hour period of time uh, when she was, I think, in her early 30s. And... Uh, her whole, whole rest of her life, 40, 50 years, was spent 
in writing about and telling people about these this these visions, and uh, some a lot of them were dealt with the uh, issue of the physical sufferings of Christ, the, uh, the agony in the garden, the scourging, and so forth, and bloody and everything. It was kind of typical of those days. Okay, that was sort of the tradition then, uh, and. Um, but she had some unique uh, offerings in terms of she referred to God often as mother, and she referred even to Jesus as mother. And, of course, we have the famous uh, quote of Jesus saying, I would like to gather uh, everyone under my wings like a mother chick, mother hen to the chickens. So... Uh, there is the you know as you know there is no uh, gender in God, and uh, so God is just as much woman as man, but um, for some reason we have focused on God the Father, but the uh, the Catholic Church is not come out in any way saying that we could not refer to God as Mother. A lot of people I think take offense at that they don't understand it they don't like it, but Pope John Paul the First who just was Pope for about two or three months, uh, wrote that God is more a mother than a father. This is in one of his writings. So um, there's some backup there. I would imagine. So, <laughs> uh, Father, we have just a couple of minutes left, and I want you to take a, a, these last couple of minutes to tell us about your retreat at the Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas real quick. Okay. Well, this is a... Retreat, I'm not still sure who gave them my name to invite me, but I'm grateful. But um, this is called a Yoga Vacation Program, and it's uh, in the Paradise Island in the Bahamas uh, from May the 5th to the 9th of this year. And there will be uh, a number of different presentations. As far as I can see from the program, I will be the only one representing the Christian tradition. There will be um, Buddhists and uh, Hindu and and Sufi and uh, medicine wheel. There'll be uh, uh, the Bodhisattva. What is it? Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva. See, I'm not familiar with that. Bodhisattva. All right. <laughs> that's, that's Buddhist. That's Buddhist. Okay, Bodhisattva. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, Rumi. Uh huh. Yep. And so, uh, be a lot of focus on meditation but from different uh, spiritual traditions. And from what I see, uh, let's see, what, do you have a website right in front of you? Yeah, on, on, the, on for this? Yeah. Um, well, it's the, uh, it's, I looked up just in, in the Google, Sivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat. Okay, yes, that's it. Shivananda yes. Ashram Yoga Retreat, if you Google that, you will. Yes. Uh, also, I, I do see one here, uh, simply www.shivananda.org, and that's S-I-V-A-N-A-N-D-A. Um, right. So, okay, wonderful. And I'm sure that uh, people can contact you here locally as well. We are well, out of- I, I have a number you can call. No. It's 866-559-5167. Great. Excellent. We are out of time, but I want you back next week. We'll talk more about the retreat, more about mysticism in the church. I want to thank Father uh, Joachim Lally for being here on Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella. This is WGVU. 
Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation with Father Joachim Lally. Father Lally has been a priest uh, for, well, actually, he celebrated his 50th anniversary not too long ago. And Father Lally is uh, someone who focuses on both the contemplative life and the life of selfless service in action. A little bit about his uh, life. He was a Benedictine monk in Arkansas uh, from back in the 50s. He is a Paulist priest now, and he's involved in several organizations and efforts. He's the founder and executive director of the Adelante Youth Center uh, in Lawrence, Massachusetts. He's the co-founder of the Dominican Youth Mission. He's led over 40 evangelization, construction, and medical missions in the Dominican Republic since 1990. And uh, he is a presenter at Paulist Catholic Information Center here in Grand Rapids. He's a certified presenter of Centering Prayer and uh, also active in prison ministry for the Archdiocese of Boston, New York, and Grand Rapids. Uh, He's also a board member and on the development committee of the San Juan Diego Academy uh, in Wyoming, Michigan, not far from here. So we welcome once again Father Joachim Lally. Hello, Father. Thank you, Fred. It's so good to be back. Uh, last week we talked a bit about, well, more than a bit, about the Catholic mystical-slash-contemplative tradition and how it it has always had its challenges. And I'm wondering if the challenges of the hierarchy of the Church— uh, as as I mentioned last week, sometimes throughout history, uh, the church has treated meditation and contemplation like the crazy uncle in the attic. And I'm wondering if that tension actually helped the tradition, or did it just completely hinder it? Well, it's hard to evaluate whether it helped or hindered, but I think uh, the fact that it has persevered through all these years, says that I think that this is of God, this is from the Spirit, 
and that uh, it is a challenge because uh, it asks one going into it to go into uh, a spirit of nothingness, of lack of control, of uh, of not having to know everything, and and uh, a sense of abandonment as Jesus did. And so the whole essence can be summed up in those words, let go. And a lot of people want to hold on, not let go. And so uh, this is basically a prayer of silence where you don't try to look at anything, review the past or plan for the future, solve any problems. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's really built in failure, Fred. Because you cannot, quote, quote, do it right. You cannot have a blank slate and get rid of all, quote, quote, distractions. And so it's a constant barrage on your ego, that part of yourself that in mystical terms means uh, you believe you are separate from God. It's the illusion that you're separate from God. And so through this uh, depth of prayer, which some of the greatest saints experienced, you get this personal experience of God's love for you. This unconditional love that uh, is God's nature. God cannot not love you because God is love, as St. John says, and not God doesn't do love. God is love. So we cannot change God's nature. God loves us unconditionally. We cannot stop God from loving us. We're not that strong. And so this is this type of surrendering where you, uh, when a lot of times when you're reading prayers and so forth, uh, you're in control. You know, you decide, I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to read from this book. But in silence, you go into that sense of, uh, wow, you're vulnerable. And this is where true love can take place. And it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the thing that will transform you more than anything else in the world. Do you... Do you uh, speak to a lot of people, particularly Catholics? I mean, I realize that you're, you're in the world and you deal with a lot of people from a lot of different traditions. Um, what is the level of interest that you see from the average Catholic today? Is it still something that they, they're a little afraid of or just don't feel they're cut out to do? Or is there a hunger that is expressed to you? When, when say, somebody takes one of your classes on mysticism uh, or maybe even just hearing you preach mm-hmm. at a Mass, what, what kind of reaction do you get from, from most people? If you, if you can even right. say that. No, I'm, I generally get very favorable um, reactions to both my classes and, and preaching. I... I have feel very strongly about what I'm saying, and and people uh, pick up that, and pick up the joy and the uh, and the experience, knowing that I'm not just talking out of my head. This is not ideology. This is personal experience, and so a lot of people are attracted to that, although they have almost no clue as to what contemplation means. Uh, it's a it's a mystery, and that's. In fact, even the word mysticism, it's unfortunate that it's called that because it's connected as the same root as mystery. And mystery is something a lot of people try to avoid. You know, they want to be on top of things. So, But the word mystic, as Richard Rohr describes it, mysticism, is that which goes beyond 
doctrine, morality, and ritualism. Those three. They're all those are all wonderful and good. But they're not going to the real essence which is union with God. And they're all like the Buddha example and Thomas Merton uh, referred to them as fingers pointing to the moon. They're not the moon. They're fingers pointing to the moon. They're not an end in themselves. And yet a lot of people associate religion with doctrine, morality, and ritualism. And they stop there. They don't go beyond that. And so um, I think they basically in their soul want that. they want. The, I think everyone wants this union, but they have no idea about how to go about the, doing it. And and. I would imagine if your experience is any anything like mine, you talk to people, mention meditation, and they'll say, oh, I've tried to meditate. I can't do that. And I'll say, well, how did you meditate? Well, you know, I just sat down and tried to clear my mind. And there are methods, as, as you teach in yeah. Centering Prayer, right? right. There are yes. methods. Yeah, there you don't just sit down and try to clear your mind. If right. you, if you'll be sitting there till doomsday, uh, yeah, uh, you never will because no. it's not a matter of clearing, and that's not the objective. The objective is to go beyond your ego and that sense of separateness from God. And the essence of centering prayer, as such, is the return. Uh, it's like the prodigal story, the prodigal son story. The son returns to the father. The returning is the essence. And so when you are aware that now in, in this 30-minute, 20-minute practice, whatever you have, you are thinking about what you're going to have for supper or the movie you saw last night or whatever it is, a problem you have with your spouse, uh, You, when you become conscious of it, you make a decision to let go and to return to a sacred word, or your breath, or you know whatever it is that will take you out of your focus on yourself and your issues and your problems. So it's the return, and if you have to return a thousand times in twenty minutes, that's a thousand uh, offerings of love to God. <laughs> Although I'm sure you know, someone would say that's a thousand opportunities for me to beat myself up. Well, and this is the essence. I'm glad you pointed that out because uh, one does, a lot of people have treated religion as something, as a function. Uh, you go into it to get something out of it. You know, it's, it's the tit for tat, you know, reward, punishment uh, game. And that's not anywhere near what religion is. Um, religion is union with God. It comes from the Latin religo, religare, which means to bind back to tie together, to make sense out of everything. And so um, by your returning and doing this without judging yourself for returning, that you got off track or what it is, you gradually built up a sense of non-judgmentalism. And I would say in my 40 years of practicing this, that the greatest... um, uh, blessing, uh, not something you go into receive, but it's a side effect, is being non-judgmental, non-judgmental of others, and uh, not because judgment means to separate. You separate yourself. You you put another person as an object, and uh, it's the it's if you're in a judgment mode, you are going to be out of peace. You're not, you're going to be off center, 
and and you'll be eccentric. That's what the word means, off-center. And uh, so I do it twice a day because uh, I do it in the morning for 30 minutes when I wake up and then around 5 o'clock because by 5 I'm realizing that I'm kind of getting off-center again. I'm getting eccentric. I need that return to the source. So um, I, I, I feel like... I need to stand up and say, in a like in a alcoholic AAA meeting, my name is Joachim. I'm an addict. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an addict to spiritual to this contemplation, this centering prayer. It's transformed my life. I don't know how people live without it. Sure, sure. Now I've also spoken to people who were meditation teachers from other traditions, and a lot of them have expressed the concern that some of their students or other people they know, get flaky. Have you ever had that, that, maybe not yourself, but have you ever had that experience of counseling somebody who was really going off the deep end, perhaps investing too much time in meditation, not enough time in their duties, et cetera? Is that that a danger? Well, it can be. Certain people um, want uh, this kind of contemplation, uh, meditation, to be a therapy. And uh, actually, Thomas Keating, Father Thomas Keating, the founder of Contemplation in Action, or the Contemplative Outreach, uh, he was the Trappist abbot in Spencer and out in Snowmass. Uh, he calls it divine therapy. And, and it is. I think it, it, uh, God has a way of entering into you uh, and transforming you uh, without your help. God just does it because God's good at being God, you know. And But look what happened to Jesus when he went into the desert before his active life. It says the demons came at him, okay? And this is what happens when we go into silence. All of our demons come out too. And that's why we so often avoid silence. We want to turn the radio on, the TV going, and everything, and just kind of keep one step inside of silence. Because I think if some people are afraid, wow, God might do to me what he did to Abraham. Ask for my only begotten son to be crucified or killed or whatever. And uh, so if I just kind of keep my distance from God and just go to church and, you know, uh, do all the duties I'm responsible for, then uh, I'll just get along fine with God. But don't get me face to face. Don't get me in silence because I don't know what could happen. So there's a fear. But there are people who uh, need therapy outside of the prayer practice and some people maybe need that therapy before they go into it if it's so if it's a very severe so you're right there are people who you know can go off the deep end if you're just joining us you're listening to common threads this is wgvu fm i'm fred stella and today i'm speaking with father joachim lolly we're talking about uh, the mystical and contemplative traditions in the catholic church um we can let me, let me mention your retreat right now, because last week we waited way too long towards the end of the program, and I don't want to rush you on this, but you're having a, a unique experience uh, coming up, uh, by a unique something that you've never done before. You're going to be facilitating a retreat in May of this year, 2017, at a Hindu ashram in the Bahamas. Life could be worse. <laughs> uh, yes, right. Yeah, all kind of people want to carry my luggage. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Uh, tell us. Tell us about that. Uh, uh, last week you mentioned you don't know how they got a hold of you. 
these people in the Bahamas, do you? I don't know. <laughs> I, I There's a, a Paulist priest brother of mine, Father Tom Ryan, who is in charge of ecumenical interfaith relations for the— Whom um, I know. You know, of yep. course. Uh, he has been there once or twice as an invited guest. And but he, he did not. He did not say that he. I talked with him about. It, he did not mention my name, so we don't know. It's the mystery, okay? Uh, but I'm just saying that I will be giving only two presentations among. There's about seven different presenters, and different faiths, and uh, from Buddhist, uh, Hindu, Sufi, uh, the, the Jewish, Rumi, uh, Islam. So. You know, it's going to be wonderful. I'll be the only one that's from a Christian tradition. So it's for me, this is going to be a new experience. I'm looking forward to it. I, I would say so. <laughs> and and I will say this, too, that uh, I, I know that the Shivananda Ashram, the, the, the organization, is one of the most respected uh, in Hinduism and beyond, in the greater yoga community, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I call it a Hindu ashram, but I, I can guarantee you there will probably be more non-Hindus mm-hmm. attending this than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, again, the, the dates are, uh, what, five, May 5 through 9, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's the phone number there if you want to. Let's see. Okay, yes. Uh, if anyone is interested in... In connecting with this uh, or uh, joining Father Lolly for this, uh, it is uh, 559-5167. I don't see an area code here. Yeah, it's the top on there, right above that. 816, is it? 866, I think. Oh, okay. I see that, yeah. 866-559-5167. And I also know that if you just went to shivananda.org, Sometimes Shiva is spelled with an H, sometimes without, but you always pronounce the sh in okay. Shiva. Okay. So this, uh, these uh, folks uh, do not use the H, so it's S-I-V-A-N-A-N-D-A, shivananda.org, or if you Google the Shivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat, you'll find out more information. Uh, and uh, Father Lali and I were speaking uh, uh, before we recorded the, sh- the show today, that uh, the, um, the the, the uh, costs for this are really quite appropriate, I think. Yes. Uh, a, a lot of these retreat centers, boy, you, <laughs> you have to take out a second mortgage to afford. This, I think, is really, really impressive. Um, another thing we did last week, I'd like to get back while we still have some time today. Uh, I threw out the the names of a few Catholic mystics, and you responded because you have, you teach courses on the mystics of the of the Catholic Church. Uh, one uh, one particular saint in the Church I know is used as an example in both uh, uh, Hindu circles and in Buddhist circles, and that is Teresa of Avila. Mm. Uh, Hold forth on her for a few minutes. All right. She is wonderful. Um, I uh, was blessed to be able to go to Avila in Spain a couple of years ago. I was visiting a, a, a friend in, um, in the uh, Salamanca, not too far from, um, from Avila, and went over there. And that is generally the recognized uh, area of Teresa of Avila. Uh, and John of the Cross. And they were contemporaries, friends of each other. And both of them uh, 
they're what they're most most well known for is that they were the reformers of the Carmelite order. And in other words, they wanted to get back more to the original rule and more silence and so forth. And it had kind of uh, picked up a lot of baggage on the way. So, But they were resisted, as usually reformers are, by the, the nuns of, of Teresa and also the, the friars, the uh, um, Carmelite friars of John of the Cross. In fact, John of the Cross, his community uh, kidnapped him and put him in prison for uh, about a year or so. And uh, it was really traumatic. He was just in very miserable conditions. And uh, he was, he, they were just not wanting to change. I mean, a lot of people don't want to change. And reformers are not uh, always like, uh, very popular. So, And uh, her, she describes her experiences, I remember reading, like uh, – a bullet being shot through her spine. She she had some very powerful experiences that yeah, uh, yeah. were were uh, of of deep concern to her mm-hmm. superiors. Am I correct? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She had one. But, um, she probably entered around. She was around fifteen or sixteen, as they did in those days. And it wasn't until about fifteen years later when she had her great vision that uh, began the transformation of her life and her direction of her life in terms of wanting to, uh, feeling called by God to to reform the community. Mm-hmm. And she was tireless. She would travel all over the place starting new convents. And and uh, there's, a, there's a story that I understand is, is questionable whether it's true or not, but that she was uh, in a carriage one time and it got stuck in the mud and it was a lot of trouble and everything. And she's supposedly uh, supposed to have said, uh, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you so have so few of them. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, you know, those traditions go, you know. <laughs> sure. I, I understand. And now, uh, last week we were talking about how the, any church, any organization, particularly a spiritual organization, you have a you have a hierarchy. Usually, mm-hmm. you have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Hierarchy appreciates control, and these mystics come out of the woodwork every now and then. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, the hierarchy is wondering: Well, are we really in control? And maybe we need to put the kibosh on this person here, or that person there. Um, and you were talking about how we, in the contemplative life. We we surpass that, and we actually have an experience of God. But of course, the hierarchy, uh, often quite rightly so, is saying, "Yes, how do we know it is of God?" All right, we have a Bible, we have the the writings of the of the uh, uh, Church Fathers, we have this, we have that, and if it doesn't meet these standards, then we have a problem. So, for instance. While we may talk about uh, people who are revered, such as uh, Thomas Merton, uh, mm-hmm. such as uh, Father Keating, and uh, 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 the ancient mystics as well, as we were just saying, uh, Teresa of Avila, I remember this one woman from Bayside, New York, back in the 70s. Uh, you, you're, you're grimacing a little bit Oh, now. yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> so why isn't she in your pantheon of great Catholic mystics? <laughs> well, I, I like what Richard Roy says and says that there's a 
a three-legged approach to this. And one is scripture, one is tradition, and one is one's personal experience with God. And one needs all three. There is a place for tradition in scripture and hierarchy who can uh, look at these uh, various experiences of people and uh, discern, okay, now this truly seems to be from God and this doesn't. And uh, so that, that's one who helps to shepherd, pastor, and uh, uh, just be a, one who tries to uh, keep some semblance of uh, order and truth. And it's valuable, you know. So in this case of the Bayside person, I think that they examined it and everything and found out uh, uh, it really wasn't much substance there. Yeah. For people who don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, they used to run videos of her on the local public access channel here. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And I don't remember her name, but uh, she was quite a firebrand. She felt that the Pope was an imposter. Yeah. And regardless of what she said, even if she, even if she was... Uh, uh, um, uh, giving grand and beautiful pronouncement she, pronouncements, she did it in this most wretched voice with this hard New York accent. The Pope is an imposter. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got the accent. I lived in New York six years. I know. <laughs> yeah, and my yeah. wife and I would listen to her. And it's funny because I, uh, my my father's secretary, was a follower. Of her, oh, is that I did, right? and I had no idea who she was back then. I didn't really learn of, of this woman uh, and her her true mission until I moved here to Grand Rapids. But growing up in Detroit, uh, yeah, I, I oh, would, yeah, my right, uh, yeah. my father's secretary would say some things that I found were interesting, but I had no idea what it all meant. But yeah, she was a she was a character. Well, there's a lot of them. Let me <laughs> yeah. tell you, right? So uh, yeah, in in every tradition, every tradition, of yeah. course, yes. yeah, that that is true. Yeah. And 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 one thing I will say about uh, the Catholic Church, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses in everything, of course, right? Of so course. in the church, you do have a hierarchy that says no, this this vision or this person uh, is not being faithful. And here's the reason why, right. where you have other traditions that have no hierarchy, right. and people can just go crazy. They did, and, That's true. And gain That's true. followers yeah, and start right, yeah. cults. And, yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah. You, need, you need everything. You need the scripture, tradition, the personal experience, uh, the mysticism, which is going beyond, beyond doctrine, morals, and ritualism to get that intimate, personal love relationship with God so that you can say— with all your your heart, I no longer believe in God. I know God. This is a deeper, you know, believing can be just a head experience and anybody can believe this, that, and the other, whether or not you believe in global warming or whatever. But that's an ideology. You go beyond the ideology to this personal experience where, you know, no one can take that from you. Sure. You know? Sure. It's beautiful. Uh, We've we've talked uh, about your retreat in the Bahamas. I'm just curious, in the next couple of months, do you have any uh, any classes, uh, uh, any events that uh, you'd like to talk about uh, in well, February, I'm, March? And I'm, uh, I'm teaching on the first Wednesday of every month at the uh, Catholic Information Center uh, on uh, Father Richard Rohr's new book, The Divine Dance, about the Trinity. 
and it's the uh, first Wednesday of every month. And I just had the first Wednesday of January. I have four more, and it's all about uh, uh, the Trinity as relationship. And so I'm very excited about that. Wonderful. So people can contact the Catholic Information Center if they need more information on that. Right. Beautiful. I'll be also teaching another two classes in April on nonviolent communication skills. Wonderful. Father Lolly, it's been great to have you here. Good to be here, Fred. Yeah. I'm Fred Stella. My guest was Father Joachim Lolly, and you're listening to Common Threads. Please join us next week here on WGVU-FM.